Computer, initialize Holosuite. And welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I am one of your hosts, Perry. And I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 4, Episode 21, The Muse. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is absolutely correct, and as I say every single week, and I'll probably say every single week until we are done or dead, you should find us and join us and follow us along, and if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or anything like that that you want to dive in with us, you certainly can. We'd love to hear from you, we'd love to interact with you, and uh, yeah, just enjoy, because we're a good time, we're pretty awesome. Um, As David said, we are here to talk about The Muse, the 98th episode for us. Um, that countdown to the infamous 100. I thought right it was 99. This is 98? I thought it was is 99. Is this it? We'll that's right. Count. This is 99. This is 99. I was going to say. Um, okay. <laughs> and it's a great, and that's right. I remember thinking about that. This is the 99th episode, so we'll have our 100th next week. This is a great episode to be our 100th, because if you know anything about the episode that comes next, um, which I guess technically we'll be skipping, or not skipping, but we'll be, ne- we'll be our 101st episode, Wow, timelines. Anyway, <laughs> it, there's a there's a reason for it, and we kind of like our the show kind of pivots a bit. So I think it's a great time for this to be our 100th episode okay. next week. So with that being said, we're gonna have a great time with this 99th episode. It features some returns of some great characters <laughs> and some you know new aliens and so forth. And I'm just really excited to um, talk about it because she's back. Folks, <laughs> she's she's back. Loxana, love her to death. Yes, yep. Loxana Troy, daughter of the fifth house, holder of the sacred chalice of Reeks, heir to the holy rings of Beta Z. She is back, <laughs> and she is causing Odo no end of stress. So we're gonna get right into it. All right, let's do it. Uh, but but now, of course, you know, before we do that, before we jump whole hog into the greatness that is Loxana Troy, David, how was your week? Week's been okay. Work has been really dead lately which is not good um today i took a really low deal like uh the guy got a real bargain out of me um because i was like i just need to i need to sail you know so just had to get something on the board because i hadn't got anything on the board in like three days so anyway um that's been frustrating but uh did give me a chance to finish reading book four of the expanse uh see a see bolt see Ebola burn Weird name. Is that how you? I was always pronouncing it Sibylla. Sibylla, Sibylla. Maybe that's probably the proper pronunciation. I mean, I'll not to say it. But anyway, uh, finished that book this week because we're going to talk about it during our 100th episode next week, our After Dark yes. episode. Yes. And I started rewatching season four of the show to compare, and there are a number of differences. So I'm looking forward to talking about it. I mean, the overall plot is the same, but when they make the jump from book to show, they make a number of changes to expand the story but also try and con, con uh, um, condense some storylines down 
Uh, I'm only four episodes in of the 10-episode season. I have seen it before, but now watching it a second time with having read the book, there are a lot of things I'm noticing on the second watch through. So I look forward to talking about that next week. Um, other than that, I've been reading more of the Oppenheimer book, American Prometheus, which is still very interesting. I really liked the movie, as I've said many times now. It's very interesting to read the book. I'll um, have finished it by next time we talk. Um, looking forward to talk about that. And I'll be starting... The third book in the Altered Carbon book series. I don't know if the right. author is intending to write any more in this in the series. I don't know if he would call it a trilogy. There's only three out so far. Uh, but this one was written, I think, in like late late 2000s. So the, the aughts, as they say. Um, so I think this one hasn't had a sequel to it in a while. Um, I wasn't as big a fan of the second book as I was the first. Just like I wasn't as big a fan of the second season as I was the first season of the show. But the second season was also very different than the second book. Uh, but I think they're actually going to be introducing a lot more plot elements from the third book into what was set the second season. So I'll be happy to talk about those hopefully next week as well as I start the third book of that uh, series. So, but yeah, how about you? What's new with you? Um, well, uh, you know, I'm continuing the workouts, of course. I'm really enjoying um, getting into and understanding more of the, you know, the strongman uh, stuff, which... It's, it's just so interesting to me because it's like I've, I've always been a strong person. I've always lifted weights. I've always done all of these things. Um, but this is the first time, like, I really feel like ever that I have um, focused so much on what I, what I call true strength, right? Because a lot of the strongman lifts are all about or the just the events you know they're all you have to use like your full body there's a lot of things about balance and coordination that goes into it you can't really just isolate one particular body part like just working your legs or just working your upper body or so forth it really is kind of an all over um complete workout which is great for people who you know like me always seem to feel like they don't have enough time to do everything and just trying to figure out ways to squeeze more time into, you know, the day and making sure you're getting a lot of things done. And uh, so to know that I can go in and do like four event lifts and then, and that completely works me out is great. And it's a, um, so it's an interesting way to feel tired, right? I, like it's what I've always wanted just to feel completely <laughs> drained. Right. Seriously, to be completely exhausted, like from head to toe, I'm exhausted. I'm not like, where if I do just an upper body workout, yeah, my you know my chest is sore, my arms are sore, whatever else, but I can still go. I can still you know move through my day. This um, really requires me to put a lot of focus, a lot of effort into um, doing things, and um, uh, recovery is very important. So I'm really enjoying that. Plus my um, my size, you know, I'm I'm six eight. So doing a lot of these things, it was already going to be a little bit difficult, but um, uh, again, I, I'm just going to go ahead and say I, I feel even bigger when I'm doing it, and I like that feeling. So I don't know how else to describe it other than that. You know, it's Whoa. just it's just great. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just like and, and people people see you and they stare at you a little bit differently. And now, granted, I haven't had like a whole lot of time to have a massive body transformation, but I've definitely noticed some differences. I, and I've been doing this now. Uh, what is this? This is August, so four months, I think, give or take, okay. give or take, you know, about four months. 
So um, now, granted, I wasn't doing the strongman stuff consecutively for the full four months. It's really been maybe a month and a half to two months that I've really been focusing on doing actual strongman lifts. Right. Uh, most of the stuff that I was doing before that was more into, you know, kind of retraining my body and a lot of stretching, a lot of, you know, just kind of getting back into the routine of doing things in order to push myself to that next step. So, um, but yeah, I've really been enjoying that. Um, having to be very careful because there are some times where, um, you know, old injuries crop up and, you know, try to take me out of things, but <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I've handled it. Um, right. other than that work is pretty stable. Um, kids started school. Um, so we're now looking at, um, you know, we're in the third grade now, or she's in the third grade. So to say we, she's in the third grade now. Um, ecstatic. She's just <laughs> so excited. She's also very, very comfortable, much to, you know, my dismay on some, well, not dismay, but just shock. Like for example, on the very first day of school, she invited, you know, some friends to come over. You know, didn't talk to me, didn't clear it, didn't let me know, didn't nothing. Just yeah. first day of school was already, you know, ready to have friends come back, which, you know, we had to put a squash on, want to meet the parents first, <laughs> want to, yeah, let's let make sure everybody knows where everybody is, because I don't want anybody banging on my door, wondering where their kid's at or any of that <laughs> stuff, you know. We had to talk about safety and, you know, how to, the proper way to do things. Right. And all that kind of stuff, you know, so um, interesting to have such a sharp, you know, lesson to have to do on the first day, <laughs> literally the first day of school. Yeah. But I took it also well in the sense that I love the fact that my daughter was so um, comfortable and so, you know, personable that not only did she make friends quickly, but she was, you know, all for them coming back and yeah. being here with us and, and so forth. Right. Um, just had to explain to her that, Hey, there's a, there's a procedure. There's a right. way we do this. We don't, yeah. parents want to meet parents before kids are going to people's houses. <laughs> so, so, and she, she knew our knew my phone number and she knew directly how to get home to tell everybody. So that was also a plus, but yeah, so we'll be doing play dates and stuff in the future. We just haven't gotten there yet. Right. So <laughs> other than that, it's, it's been great. Yeah. It reminds me, my sister-in-law sent a little video out of my five-year-old niece reading a book for the first time, one of those sound-out-the-word books, but, like, mm -hmm. for herself, with, with my sister-in-law's help, really for the first time, kind of doing that, that. Instead of being read a story and going to bed, she was reading the story before bed. So um, She's, a, of course, a couple years younger than your daughter, but... Ah, those milestones hey, come quick, man. I was gonna say, yeah, milestones <laughs> are milestones. I mean, I I can take this, you know, and then, you know, it'll it'll be a blink of an eye, a flash, as they say, and all of a sudden she'll be seventeen and demanding to, you know, stay out late and drive the car and do all of those things. So I've got that to look forward to. Um, yeah. So we'll see. But anyway, <laughs> um. We're not here to talk about all of that. We are here to talk, of course, about Deep Space Nine and the Muse. The what is this? The twentieth episode, twenty-first in the season, twenty-first episode yep. in the fourth season of twenty-six. So, um, so only five more left. All right. Yeah. 
And so uh, let's get right to it. Did you want to give the recap for this episode, or did you want me to do it? I can do it. Uh, all right. Um, so this episode, guys, is broken down into effectively two separate storylines. So we'll talk about um, let's talk about Jake first, because he kind of starts off the episode, and um, his is a little bit shorter overall than Odo's part of the story. So Jake starts the episode off at the um, – at the promenade, looking out over uh, where people are coming onto the station from a sh- from ships, and he's looking over people to try and come up with like stories for what he sees. Like, oh, there's a priest, so maybe he's a priest disguised. Uh, he's a thief disguised as a priest, so he can get over a thief, uh, you know, a, a theft on a um, a Ferengi. So you know, come up with storylines as he's watching people moving around. But he just he sees a a beautiful woman come off the ship by herself and she notices him and she walks away and he's obviously uh, intrigued by her and later she comes up to him while he is writing uh, one of his stories in one of the bars I don't think it's Quark's one of the others and she introduces herself to him as someone who has known for example the creator the architect of the station Uh, she is someone who has known many creative people throughout her life, and she knows techniques to help draw out the creative uh, workings of various important people who will have their names, you know, left throughout history because of their accomplishments. And she tells Jake, "You know, I can do that for you. Come to my quarters." So Jake goes to his dad, or I shouldn't say goes to his dad. His dad comes to him and says, "Hey." I'm ready to go on our three-day vacation that I've been planning, the one that you suggested we take. And uh, Jake's like, actually, I want to stay here on the station and work on my story, Um, not telling his dad that he's met this strange woman who said, come to my place tonight. Um, So basically tells his dad, go have fun with your girlfriend for three days. I'll just be here on the station. Jake goes, meets the woman in her quarters, and basically, she starts massaging his temples and his back and his the the you know back of his skull while talking about how she's you know basically massaging various parts of his brain to get his juices flowing you know get his creative juices flowing and she gives him paper and a pen you know actual paper and tells him to start writing and he starts writing and it's it's flowing it's coming out of him well as we watch we can see that. This woman is what her actions are causing to happen is him to, yes, do his creative activities, but it's also causing him to give off some sort of energy that she is taking. And it's very pleasurable for her, obviously, to take this energy from Jake, and it starts causing him nosebleeds. And after three days of doing this, he starts, he collapses after he leaves her presence. He goes uh, back to the promenade and collapses. uh, Bashir takes him and says his you know capillaries, uh, his prefrontal cortex is over overstimulated. Um, we're not sure why, but um, Cisco, who's returned, is like, well, let's you know give him a chance to recover. Uh, he here overhears Jake say the name of the woman, and so he says, let me figure out who this woman is. Well, while Jake is left alone, this woman appears as a ball of light. Uh, materializes and knocks out the nurse that is walking, watching over Jake and then takes him into the uh, tubes and continues to force him to write uh, while taking energy from him and basically brings him to the point of near death and collapse. 
Fortunately, Cisco finds them, uh, confronts the woman, confirms that Jake is still alive, and when he tries shooting the woman with his phaser, just to get her to basically stop, it has no effect on her. Um, you know, before she disappears, she says, you know, I've I've been surviving off of people like this my whole life for like hundreds of years. I go from one person to the next. I stimulate them to be very creative, but she basically kills them in the process. But he's unable to kill her in return. She turns into a ball of light and disappears off the station. Um, so Jake is safe, but um, we don't. That's it. She just disappears. Okay. Now the other part of the story, which is completely unrelated, and you maybe could consider as the A plot. Waxana Troy has come to the station for Odo's protection. She has recently gotten married and is pregnant with a son. But her husband, who is a Tavnian, um, his culture keeps male and female children separate from each other until the age of 16. In fact, they don't even mention the fact that there are alternate sexes until they're 16, which doesn't make any sense, but whatever. This means that the boy child that she is pregnant with, her husband wants to take from her once he is, uh, once she gives birth to the boy, and Waxana refuses to let that happen, so she has run away to the station in hopes of avoiding her husband and hoping that Odo will protect her. Odo does try to protect her as best he can, as you know, someone who um, cares for Waxana, um, but her husband does figure out where she is and comes to the station and demands to have the boy child given to him at the birth. Odo, having done his research into Tavnian law, says that it turns out it's not the father of the child who gets possession, it's the husband of the mother who gets possession of the child. And so with that technicality, if the marriage is annulled and someone else, i.e. Odo, marries her instead, he would be the one who is considered the father of the child, and therefore uh, Jayal, the husband who... Waxana is currently married to would have no right to demand the child. So, Odo says, I will get her to marry me. Turns out that in Tavnian law, he, the uh, marriage proposal is allowed to be objected to by people present at the wedding if they don't believe that the marriage is legitimate or that the husband-to-be is serious. And so Jayal confronts Odo at the wedding and says, I don't believe that you're serious. And Odo gives a very passionate uh story about why he um is no longer alone because you know we know that Waxana the first time she met him saw him at one of his worst moments because he mm-hmm. has to turn back into a pile of goo you know go into his bucket after about 16 hours and so she saw him in that state during their first meeting and so he tells that story basically and says that he cares for her and so they are married but, of course, the intention is, is that they will annul the marriage after the baby has been born <coughs> and Tavnian law has been appeased. Um, that works. Um, so the previous husband goes away. And uh, later at the end of the episode, she comes to Odo saying she's going to go back to Beta Zed. She no longer desires to be in a, um, a, a burden on Odo, saying that she knows that he doesn't really love her. And he really loves Kira, because they talked about it earlier in the episode. And uh, so she says, I'm going to go and have my child somewhere else. And as a side note, as I'm sure Perry will be mentioning and talking about more, but this is the last time we see Luoxana and Majel Barrett Roddenberry in Star Trek for the final time. This is her yes. send-off. So. Yes. 
I, I was going to talk about that it is the last time we see of her, but not the last that we hear of her. <laughs> As we all know, uh, Major Barrett Roddenberry provided the voice of the computer on Star Trek, both Next Generation, or both, but all three, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager. Um, there's always, always talk of bringing her voice back um, to do something in the other series, of course. Um, there's even, I've, I'm, I'm, this kind of borders on a little bit of rumor and like, you know, there's some proof of this, I should say, but we do know that there were several recordings that she made of her voice to be used for episodes, um, for, for the purpose of Star Trek. Um, the rumor part of it is that before she died, she completed this whole phonetic lexicon so that they would be able to not just use samples of her voice but also ha create new sentences and structures for her voice to continue to be used as needed in the the remainder of trek for perpetuity right. basically um this has not been done uh though people have asked for it there have been petitions to have it done there have been petitions to have her <laughs> voice being introduced to be the voice of like gps stuff um <laughs> like your your tom tom or your garmin or your whatever you know that you use um voices for your <laughs> right voices for your your google home hub or for your alexa or for your siri device whatever it is that you use there have everybody has tried their uh, start a petition to get her voice um to no avail yet um but it would i think it would be great if somehow um this happened. Now, I do know that you can uh, go online and you can download all of the stuff that has been used on screen of her voice to date. Right. You can download all those things and then program them yourself to be, you know, your ringtone or to have them be the sounds from your computer and, and things like that. You just have to do it yourself. So, um, yeah, there's plenty of websites that you can go to and, and find that and, um, Especially if you do any kind of searches for L cars or um, System 47 is another one. Uh, those two uh, were mainly used with with Trek, and you can get a lot of stuff for them, layouts and voices and all kinds of stuff, computer sounds in general. If you're interested, uh, I, I know that they're out there. Um, but yes, this is the last time that we see Luxana, and uh, I have to admit, um, it's kind of sad. Like. As I've said before, and as we've talked about before when going through and talking about this character, she's one that certainly, I feel like, grows on you over time. Like, <laughs> as, a, as a lifelong fan of Trek, I remember watching episodes with her in it when I was, you know, eight, nine years old, whatever, and I did not enjoy them at all. I thought she was loud. I thought she was overbearing. I, I just couldn't stand her. Anytime that she came onto the ship, I just was like, ugh. You know, I didn't want to deal with it. Kind of like Picard does, you know, whenever she would come on board, and he would just kind of like hide himself away. I was like, I totally understood, you know. <laughs> the classic moment of him doing Shakespeare. Yes, when he's got to do Shakespeare to win her back. I was like, yeah, I'm sure that he really wishes he didn't have to do that. Right. Um, but over time, she really does grow on you, mainly because to me, she is the embodiment of a person who fully embraces life in all of its forms. She is all about enjoying life, not, not to anybody's detriment or into any kind of weird or perverse way, but she's just all about like 
you know, she accepts you for how you are. She doesn't, I mean, she doesn't let anything really phase her or get in the way of her enjoying herself or her friends or her family. You know, she's just, she's very vibrant, you know, and, um, I just always, like, as I got older, I really enjoyed that about her. Because so many times when you see older people, uh, it just seems like, to a certain degree, they're diminished somehow. You know, they don't, you know, don't have the, not necessarily the wherewithal, but or maybe just, like, the ability to really just kind of get out there and be fully, you know, in the moment and going through and doing all kinds of this wild and crazy stuff and adventures and everything else. Well, Oksana never slows down. Like, as far as we can tell, she just never stops. Right. And uh, I just have really come to appreciate that and enjoy that. And and her philosophy overall being find your contentment, find your joy in life, whatever it is, just, you know, go for it. And, you know, don't let anybody stand in your way of telling you you can't have what you want because you totally can. You know, just I really appreciate that about her and um, sad that we won't get to see her anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I I have to say from my angle it was like this woman I mean I didn't know this was her last episode before I was looking at the Wikipedia page, which I by the way edited before we started this episode tonight because they did oh. not mention that the woman who was affecting Jake uh disappeared without being affected by the phaser beam. I felt like that was a uh. little detail the Wikipedia page was missing, so I edited that real quick tonight. Anyway, um I just – the fact that this woman – I mean, I'm assuming that Major Barrett, Barrett is in her 60s by the time this episode is being filmed. And so the yes. character, I don't know how old she is. I don't know how the Betazoids – how pregnancy it's works keeping, for them. It's keeping with her, it's keeping with her age. So, right. you know, and, and Major are the same age. Right. But I understand what you're going to say about the pregnancy. The, yeah, it just felt very strange. You know. We're like – how I mean, this woman, like every episode, it feels like every episode we ever saw her on, she had just come from or was just in a new relationship. I mean, the woman was bouncing around quite a lot, frankly. She was, but you know what? We actually get a little bit of an explanation of that in this episode, which I, you know, despite how, you know, the the longevity of the character, it's surprising to me that we only got this, you know, really now. Right. And uh, now, now, granted, there were sprinklings of this throughout Next Generation. You know, we already knew that she had lost her husband, right. Deanna's father. Right. Uh, we knew that she had lost a daughter before Deanna, you know, uh, Kestra. Right. And, uh, Which is, you know, we is learned mentioned here, on this episode, yeah. Yes. And we also know that, uh, we don't know exactly the specifics of it, but we know that she also suffered the tragic loss of her own parents, her own family. So it sounds like Luxana's life has been full of loss and maybe that really does explain why she is so adamant about embracing life and accepting yourself and moving on um past things and not letting any one thing keep you down or keep her down for long because she's had so much tremendous loss throughout her entire life right. so you know she it would make sense that a person like that would be so you know forward thinking in her you know her positivity is just almost overwhelming right. to a certain degree, you know, but, um, yeah, you know, we, I think that it's just, um, that may be why she does jump from relationship to relationship. She's looking for this kind of, uh, you know, even as she says it in this episode, she's looking for this peace, this serenity, you know, that, you know, she's never really had, she's aware of it, 
but she's never really had it, or at least not for long, because, you know, the people that seem to give that to her die, tragically, you know? I so, I understand that for sure, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but I do feel like part of the problem I see with her is that she also commits herself to relationships that are bound to fail. Like, the man she married in The Next Generation, who was supposed to kill himself if he failed at his task... Or like at a certain age, you oh, no. to kill yourself. Um, she was. She didn't. Yeah. She. Um, yeah. Their race after they got to the age of like what was it 60, 60. 65, something yeah, like that. Yeah, supposed to commit was. ritual suicide. They're supposed to commit. Yeah, they have a huge party and gathering, and then they commit suicide. That was uh, Timison. Right. Uh, his name was Timison. And so, part and, of me uh, feels like that's my problem with her is that, like, how do you not know? I mean, she must have known that this was the thing for the children of this particular race, the Tavarians, that boys Well, she, go... does, she does say that she knew that, but that J.R. had promised that it was not going to be that way with them. True. Now, she, did, she didn't know about, she did not know about Timison and the whole ritual suicide until right. they were already kind of involved. Right. And now here comes J.R., and he was like... She she knew about it, but he promised her that it was going to be different. True. But then okay. after they got married and went through the ceremony, then he changed, he flipped it. He right. started treating so her differently, that, and okay, and that's why she fair left. enough, and that's fair why enough. she left. So yeah, my I guess what I'm that's fair. Okay, I was going to complain like, how do you not know about this? But you're right, she did say that, so I can't complain about that. Um, I guess for me though, it, it comes down to this this the situation is tragic. Again, yes, okay, it turns out the husband did agree not to do this, but the idea that the child would be taken from his mother, and so she's going to take him from his father instead, I just feel like, I don't, I just don't feel like she really did a great well, job of coming up with a solution. I don't feel like she really went well, to this she... husband and say, look, you promised me, we're doing this differently, we're not going to just do everything the way, like, I don't know if she's, maybe gonna, she did. Maybe she did off screen before I'm gonna she showed def- up. I'm going to, yeah, yeah, I'm going to defend her here because okay. I'm going to say that, you know, she did not take the child away from Jayal. She was protecting him from being taken away from her. Jayal could have absolutely been like, you know what? This is ridiculous. I reconsider. Let's go home. We'll live together. We'll raise our kid together. Like I promised in the beginning in the first place. Right. He, and if it was a societal thing, he could have left his planet and gone to Beta Z and right. raised the kid with her. Right. Or they could have found some other kind of me- middle ground. And even at the end, when he's when he confronts her finally, you know, he says, "When our son asks about me, speak of me favorably." And she's like, "Yes, of course." Right. She still wasn't going to badmouth the guy to the to the kid. He just needed to not want to take him right. from her. Yeah. That's it. So, yeah, there was nothing stopping him from being in the kid's life and being involved with her and whatever else, other than himself. He was stopping himself. She did not do that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and I I just have to say, the whole idea that this culture would raise the boys separate from the girls, and they wouldn't even tell them about the opposite gender until they're 16. I'm like, (coughs) how in the world are you going to get away with not revealing that important of information until 16? Like... I can see eight, like until someone's eight, you get away with it. But at some point, yeah. people start asking questions, even as kids and teenagers, about like even history. Like, there's no history to be told where male and females are two different entities that have to be interacting as two different entities. Mm-hmm. Like, how does marriage work? Well, I don't know. It's well, I mean, I I, I would assume 
I mean, we're making a lot of leaps and bounds, you know, and inferences about the Tavnian society, but I would assume that, you know, they probably set it up in a way kind of like we do uh, lessons in school. You know, you don't teach sixth graders calculus, you know, so anything that has to deal with women and how their species, you know, propagates <laughs> or or contributions of women in society, whatever else, they probably they just save it until they reach the appropriate age. Like they mention names like, of people doing certain things, but you know, gender and sex isn't part of the description of the person until they're yeah, sixteen. You know, or it's just, it's just uh, not important. It's maybe. not to them. They don't. You know. There's levels to it. You got to learn this part before you can, you know, learn the next part. And whether or not we feel like that's the right way, I mean, that's just how they would do it. And right. it's been. I mean, again, this is another example you could of say it's successful. Yeah, this is another example of you got to give the show the benefit of the doubt. But when I first yeah, heard it. If you, if you dig too, if you dig too deep, then you start to realize there's a lot of problems there. Um, but so, so the lesson is don't, don't do <laughs> just, just let, watch it. Let it go. Let it go. You're supposed to be on the Loxana side. That's the whole point. Right. They want you to be on the Loxana side. So just take it from there. How can anybody take a child from their mother? That's what that's what they want you to focus on. Right. And uh, move on. I just find it interesting that yet again we hear of another another Troy child, basically. <laughs> um, Deanna, she had a sister that she didn't know. Now she's got a brother, presumably. That she didn't know, and we never hear mentioned ever, ever again, again in yeah. any of the rest of in the rest of Trek. Never hear another mention of this kid, right? Ever, right? So, you know, um, I think that's just interesting. But whatever, um, who knows? Maybe in a future far flung TV whatever show that they do, there will pop up um, this half Betazoid, half Tavnian. <laughs> Troy Child, whose last name is inexplicably Troy, even though, you know, I guess yeah. he takes the mother's name. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, I have um, to wonder if – Yeah. I guess the thing that really comes up is like, is there a physiological reason that these Tavnians would have the separation? Maybe there is some oh. – Again, physiological I mean, we don't. We don't it. know. Yeah, we don't, we don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe there's a um, – Something happens to them if they if they don't have this prolonged separation. Yeah, um, I mean the when her husband comes and shows up, he basically denigrates women. I don't know exactly what he says, but he says like he calls her his possession. Yeah, well, that but he also possession. says I don't want my son growing up with a bunch of like weak women or something. I don't remember exactly what he says, but he doesn't make it sound like women growing up among women is a good thing. It's not like it's a I'm sorry, but there's a reason for this that's purely logical. It's a purely it's a sexist reason. Women are weak. Yeah. It's there's no reason beyond this typical stereotypical sexist argument. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess what I'm getting at is part of what I like enjoying about storytelling is digging deep into the why. Like, how do I make this work? How do I make this make sense? Like, part yeah. of the reason I like reading the Dune books is because I like the idea of thinking through the backstory. And part of the reason I enjoy reading the 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 books written by Frank Herbert, I was right, by Brian Herbert, son of Frank Herbert, is because I, in part, part of the reason I like reading him is because, in part, I disagree with his storytelling in terms of, like, actually, I don't agree that this character would have done that based on the original series. I don't think that's how the story makes sense. And as an aside, I don't know how you do that. If I was reading something and I didn't like it and disagreed with it, I'd put it down right away. Well, to be fair, (laughs) the stories are usually okay enough 
to read on their own. They're interesting enough. The plots are are the plots move, so it's not like they're boring. So the plots move along. But for example, just as a generalization, in the Dune series, the idea is the te- technology has been outlawed as evil, like spiritually evil. It's wrong on a moral level to have computers, especially thinking computers, like that, like AI. In the prequel books that were written. That's because they're basically Skynet. Skynet came into existence and oppressed humanity for thousands of years, and therefore it was evil, and we had to defeat it in this big war, and it's you know very action-packed. But I don't think that's how Frank Herbert meant it in the original Dune. I think it was a moral lesson. Like, we're going to, I think, find out with, like, AI today with chat GPT and stuff. It's like people are going to start abusing it for doing nefarious things, like faking, yeah. you know, news and... And relying on it too heavily that they can't perform like math on their own. They can't trust the news because it's always been faked. You know, like, there are moral issues with technology that in the storyline of Dune makes sense. And I, I'm just using it as an example. I like reading the, the, the books and being like, you know what? I would have done it differently. This is how I would have done it. And that's what I'm talking about okay. with this episode here. Like I'm trying to think okay. through the implications of this this yeah. society, especially with you, which is great because you're able to remind me that, wait a minute, yes, actually, he did say that he wouldn't raise the child that way to Waxana and he backtracked on his word, etc. So, yeah, that's that's actually part of the fun is working out the kinks. Um, and uh, I feel like this, this but society... Even, but even the writers, even the writers on this episode would, you know, they all were like, this wasn't exactly our finest hour. You know, this is... This is the quintessential what I was always referring to as a filler episode. It feels like you it. know they felt... they were needing they're needing to get somewhere with the uh, you know they have a, back then especially when we had a what was it 24, 26, 26. episode a season you know format they have to make sure they're hitting that number every time so they're gonna throw in these ones that are kind of like this started off as a partially good idea. We haven't quite worked it out yet, but we'll get there. We, we know we'll work it out. Right. And then they've got some other things they want to do. And again, haven't quite gotten it, but we know we'll work it out. And then they smash it together. And it, yeah, there's some great moments in there. Some don't get me wrong. So, you know, Renee's speech, when he's talking about Waxana and what she means to him, fantastic scene. I, I loved uh, Odo there in that scene. Odo rarely, doesn't deliver rarely. rarely <laughs> you know why he's your favorite deliver. character? Yeah. <laughs> yes, you know. But I'm just, you know, it, it was, it was great. But yeah, even with all of that, there's still like, you know, this is almost could be broken up into three plots here. We've got the Jake story, we've got the Waxana, the Waxana Troy story, and then we've also got, you know, a bit of the Odo development story here. You know, we're finding out a little bit more about him. He's yeah. kind of come to terms with Kira being with Shikar. He is still kind of isolated, but he's he's loosening up a bit. He's getting there. You know, he's we see him playing games with Loxana, you know, and then of course him revealing how he's changed because of his association with her, which I mean we as the audience we've seen. But yeah. now he's standing up there and he's admitting it to everybody, to his friends. He stands there and tells them, you know, how she you know, even them, these people that he was so close to at one point, or at or as far as they're concerned, <coughs> close. But he's saying, you know, she didn't recoil from me. I was never afraid to show, or I was always afraid that if I showed someone how really different I truly am, 
that they would recoil from me. But right. I showed her, and she didn't. She right. wanted to see more. She, right. she's also very intuitive. You know, she comes into his quarters and she sees the stuff that he's got around, and she knows instantly that it's for shape shifting. Not just and ask him about it. Yeah. Right. Not just decorative. Not whatever. And that's what he says. Most people think this is just some kind of weird decorations, but no. This is how he expresses himself, and she's in on it. She's totally down for it. That is what I love so much about her character. Like, she has an innate ability to look beyond whatever is immediately being presented. She has no problem accepting whatever that is that's going on, you know, and she gets into it. They're playing right. games with his shape-shifting ability, and she's talking about how much fun she's having, and he's having fun. And it's like we get to see Odo when he lets his guard down. And it's the first time, and really, I can't think of another time that we really get to see him like this. Um, he he just seems so fun, right. and I love that for the for the both of them. I mean, yeah. I, I just They're think those things are really great. Out. Yeah, right. Like a childhood game has right, a whole seriously. new meaning for these two. My two nieces two love hide and seek. My goodness. <laughs> oh yes, can't get enough of it. <laughs> so I mean, it's just it's stuff like that that I mean, like that she can inject that that character can inject into the into this world and deep space nine is definitely darker than um next generation ever was and even with the you know the sixth and seventh season of next generation they tried they were definitely getting there but deep space nine has always kind of been the home for these kind of darker grittier you know stories and stuff but when she comes in she really can just be fun and be different and makes them be different and um, to me, it's it's again, it's sad that we won't get to see her anymore. I would have loved to see her interact more with like Kira and, you know, having that play off. Because like, here's this woman who's in love with Odo, but he's not into her. And then here's the woman that Odo is fascinated with, but <coughs> doesn't give Odo the time of day. I would have loved to see those two actually have to like deal with each other on some level. And maybe Luxana kind of cluing Kira in that she's missing out on this really great guy who's like right here, <laughs> you know? And um, I also would have loved to see her deal with Cisco more. You know, um, we don't really get to see Cisco deal with um, older women, matronly women, I guess I should say. And um, we know he's a big family man. I would love to see that kind of dynamic between the two of them. I mean, I think it would be hard to work out. Maybe that's why they didn't do it. Right. Because he is such a, you know, he's a very, you know, strong character, you know. But um, I still would like to see them make the attempt a little bit, you know, and show how her relationship with Cisco would be so different from her relationship with Picard. Right. Right. And how she, like, pursued Picard. But maybe instead of pursuing Cisco, maybe she views him differently in some, some manner or whatever. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. I don't know. Just a lot of things that I just I was always thinking about whenever I saw them, you know, even around each other. Um, but yeah, yeah, I would like to see that. Right. Um, one thing I did want to talk about because I thought it was really funny. Uh, just a quick scene when she is in the in Quark's bar and she is lamenting the betrayal <laughs> and the love and everything else. And here we see Dax and Kira and Worf of all yeah. people. I was so surprised to see Worf sitting there at the table because Worf did Doesn't not like sit. her. Like he's yeah. he's never liked he's never liked her. Right. And yet it's like it's out of that I feel like it was out of that sense of familiarity from the Enterprise through Deanna, so forth, that that's why he's there. 
right. and she has just totally killed the mood. Right. And I love Quark being like, I don't know if it's because she's Beta Z or what, but she's ruining the mood in here. Yeah. This yeah. great scene, and yeah, everybody's so depressed. Dax are trying to go to Camelot in the Hollow Sweep, but now they're too depressed to go. And yeah, which is funny because she's Luxana. Is it like? Is it like so depressed that she can't like move? Like she goes with Odo, but the others are like in this mire of depression. It's because we have to remember that Luxana is a particularly powerful and gifted telepath. Right. That is one thing that has been well established with her. She's not just any other Betazoid telepath. She True. is very high up there. And we also know from past experiences on Deep Space Nine, she has the ability to project her emotions. Now, the last time that she did this, of course, it was beyond her control. She was suffering from a, a, a physiological change right. as, she was, as she was aging. But still, she has that ability. So whether she's doing it consciously or not, we know that she can. And so I would like to believe that maybe she wasn't, she didn't seem as depressed because she was projecting so much of that to anyone who was around her. So she literally was a dark cloud bringing it into the room. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he said, Odo comes up and he's like, uh, Roxana, do you want to go for a walk? And Warp's like, I do. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So great. Yeah. Ah. But now we have to turn our attention, of course, to Jake. Yeah. Jake Sisko, our young writer who, you know, we see a lot of callbacks here to from some other things that we saw from like the episode The Visitor, which is a great, great episode featuring Young Jake and middle-aged Jake and old Jake and just Sisk and just Ben, Ben the same all the way. Yeah. Um, but here we see uh, two, th yeah. There's two things. The first one was one that you, you have to really been watching both this episode and the visitor very closely to to pick up on them. Um, one or this one is uh, the book that Jake is reading. When he's writing. trying to get inspired. No. Oh, reading. At first. Oh, okay. When he's reading, when he's trying to get inspired, there's a book that he's reading, and it's the Horatio Hornblower series. He reads, he's reading that book in this episode, and we see him in Visitor. If you go back to the go back to the Visitor episode, older Jake Sisko is reading the same book. Okay. It's on his it's like on his desk or something like that, and he closes it. Uh, at one point, right before Ben flashes into the living room. Um, so there's that first callback. And then the other major callback, which is, yeah, again, it's the major one. It's the big one. At the end, when Cisco puts down the book that Jake had been working on in this episode, we see the title, and it's Anselm, which, if you remember from The Visitor, is the book that Jake had finished and is the book that won him so much critical acclaim and awards and everything else. So in this episode, we see he has begun that story. Right. And we know that um, he's always he's worried that he's never going to be able to finish it. But we know, because we've already seen, you know, future past Jake, whatever, <laughs> that he does finish this book. So um, makes me want to read it. And I will say that this book um, appears in... Uh, Strange New Worlds as well. Someone is reading it um, huh. in in that. Wait. That can't no. be right. That's not right. What did I, what was it? No. 
it's something else from Deep Space Nine, and I can't tell you yet because I just yeah. now realized that it's <laughs> from it's from like season six or something like that. So we haven't gotten there yet. Okay. So now I was gonna say because Deep Space Nine is after, way after. Yes. Strange New yes. World, so. Never mind. <laughs> no. Unless you're it does pop unless there is a in... time travel storyline that we're gonna get to, and you're just trying to backtrack real quick. <laughs> no, no, I wish. But I feel like, but I feel like Anselm does pop up somewhere else in like another Trek series. Yeah. I'll have to go back and. and review that but i'm pretty sure that it does and jake cisco pops up or not like the name jake cisco pops up so yeah but i'll get to that later but i do want to talk about this episode this part of the episode because i just feel like um what an interesting way to show how jake is changing and how the relationship between the cisco men is changing right so who were your first thoughts when you watched this particular part of the episode um, I mean, it starts, it's pretty clear that the woman that comes along is creepy. <laughs> There's something wrong about her. Um, why is she going up to a, a presumably 18-year-old young man and saying, come to my quarters tonight? <laughs> it's like, oh boy. Right, she she <laughs> she latches on to him quick, man. Yeah, I mean, she and... says that she noticed him pretty quick and his abilities pretty quick, so. But yeah, it's obvious there's something going on there. Um it's funny, my roommate was watching this episode with me. I'm gonna give him a hard time real quick because I felt like he's like you sometimes, where like, you know, you don't like the Frangie or like you, you react strongly to characters you don't like, but you're not supposed yeah. to like them. And my roommate was strongly reacting to this woman. He didn't like her. And I was like, that's the whole point. <laughs> the episode wasn't trying to hide the fact, you know, he's making comments. She's a witch. Like, yeah, that's kind yeah. of the point. <laughs> anyway. Hey, I said the same thing when I first watched it. I was like, I don't like her at all. Yeah, she's trouble. Yeah, there's something and wrong. And what with is it. up with what is up with Jake and attracting older women? I know. Let's not right? forget this is not the first time. You know, uh, Marta was what twenty to Jake's yeah. fourteen, something like at that. The time? Fifteen, fourteen, probably. fifteen years yeah. old. You know, and so now we have Onaya, who is clearly thousands of years old. Something, and, and she, she says just, that he was the youngest she ever came across. Yeah, she had no problem going after that young blood. And yeah. I was just, mm. yeah, yeah. And uh, she, so Onaya is played expertly, of course, by uh, Meg Foster, who right. has a very, you know, long and storied history of playing these kind of um, villainous uh, characters. Right. Um, she she's done a lot of extensive sci-fi and fantasy work as well. Right. Um, it's the eyes. It's one of the things if you if you research her at all, right. and you look up like <laughs> what commentary has been ever made about her. It's her eyes. She has a very unique eye color that it um, it's it's just so distinctive, and the way her eyes like light up when right. natural light hits them and things like that, it, it's quite distinctive and kind of unnerving. Yeah, and that's why she ends up playing these kind of these kinds of characters. Yeah, and her so eyebrows are very them, almost sharp. Yeah, they're very um, yeah. I remember so that's also why I like in this episode. Yeah, the woman, that's not makeup. Those aren't contacts. Yeah, the woman who plays um, Lieutenant Rowe, or Ensign Rowe, or whatever I call her, who also was in Battlestar Galactica. Michelle that Forbes. Actress, Michelle Forbes. She also Michelle has Forbes. a very sharp, aggressive, kind of angular eyebrows, too. Part of the reason why I find her attractive as well is like that's, I don't know, it's something about that very penetrating um, eyes. Yeah, but man, like, <laughs> she gets him alone. And there's something like you just want to tell like Jake, what the hell are you doing? Run! 
Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. As soon as here. as soon as she as soon as she introduced herself to him, my first thought was, Jake, she's too old for you. Yeah. Like you you should you should be able to tell by the sound of her voice, she's too old for you. Well, and Get anyone up, who starts leave. off by saying, I like Cardassian architecture because it flows. <laughs> like um it's not how i would describe it myself so now <laughs> i also like cardassian architecture i i enjoy the melding of cardassian with bajoran architecture because the cardassian architecture it's so angular and then dark and then they use a lot of you know these these different palettes that are so bright for the rest of what they've got going on I find the you know juxtaposition of the two very um, um, very inter- I guess entertaining, right. um, intriguing is another one yeah right. but like I would love to have some things that are lit up in that kind of style right. I guess what I would say about this episode for me like other than everything that happens to him is I feel a little bad for Jake because I feel like he he's 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 still a boy. Um, yeah. As a quick side note in the. American Prometheus book about Oppenheimer. It talks about his um, going off to college and, and, and having a prolonged adolescence is how the book describes it. Like he has a lot of maturing he has to do as a young adult. He has kind of some mental breakdowns in his early twenties, but by the time he finally graduates and goes to graduate school and graduates from that and becomes a, a professor in his own right, he actually becomes a very charismatic individual um, kind of a womanizer. At least women like him a lot, whereas before he was awkward around women. So I feel like Jake's in a similar spot after reading that book. Like Jake is in this spot where he's not having emotional breakdowns. I'm not saying that was the case, but he is in this weird spot where he's, you know, Nog has moved on because he's, you know, gone off to the the Federation school, and Jake does want to go to the school on Earth. I think it's in Australia, if I remember correctly. Um, yes. And so, but part of me just just wants something more for Jake at this point. I feel like, I mean, don't get me wrong, the idea of being a writer sounds great. Like, I think, like, you, both of us, if we could, like, have a dream job, writer would be on the list. Um, oh, yeah, I, sure. I, 100%. Hands down. If I, right. if I could make my, you know, living and be comfortable and whatever else and be able to just, you know, write books, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And uh, we do know, because of that episode The Visitor, that at least in one timeline, he does become a successful author, and so we can presume that he will in this timeline as well. Um, but for me, I, I, I just feel a little bad for Jake as a character, because I feel like he's still in a limbo state of, is he going to be a good writer? Is that what he was going to commit to doing? Is he going to commit to doing it by going to school or not? I think it's it's the woman here who says, like, you don't even need to do that. You have it all in you anyway. Um, that's basically why she attaches herself to him and becomes a parasite on him is he has all the 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 creative energy she needs to like suck him dry um but i just feel bad for the character because he's alone you know nog is gone he abandons his father i feel really bad for cisco there it's like he's the one who suggested going on this trip with uh what's what's cisco's girlfriend's name Kristen, right cassidy cassidy and it was a k um but Jake suddenly pulls out and Cisco being the good loving father that he is like he kisses his son on the cheek and says, all right, well, I'll see ya. I'll gives him a big hug and you know, he doesn't hold it against him, you know, but <laughs> I just feel like, I mean, if Jake is going to be successful as a writer, this is, this is what he's doing. He's really committing to it. So I don't want to hold it against him. 
Um, but on the other hand, I feel like you're, you're, you're alone. The only women who are interested in you are the ones who want to suck you dry for all your creative juices. <laughs> uh, you're, you're not, you know, spending time with your father when he specifically wanted to do so and took time off to do that. For the, something that you asked to do. Um, yeah. But I mean, to be fair, this is storytelling and, and characters need to be able to make decisions that they might regret. So, I mean, that's always my hardest thing coming back to like, here's how I would work out storytelling. My problem with storytelling is I don't want to let my, my characters experience a tragedy. I don't want them to have a bad time. I don't, and you, I know you're the opposite. You want them to have, you want to throw them in the deep end. I want them, <laughs> I want them to be worthy of the redemption that yes, comes I hear at you. the end. I want to feel like they really worked truly for it. Hit rock bottom and clawed their way out of it. You and I, I really should write something just for fun because you'll get the character to the dark place they need to be, and I'll work so hard to get them out of it. Like, uh, I just, anyway, hey, you know, I, I'd, be, I'd be for a little a little collaboration, but yeah, I mean, because that's that's what I enjoy the most is when the characters just you know they're trying their hardest, but man, they just keep going down. And I think that's why I enjoy um, the Expanse so much because. Holden and company, they do, they try so hard, but right. they make stupid mistakes repeatedly. Right. And, you know, it, when, when they, and then things are just at their absolute worst, and I'm just like, okay, I'm here for this. I, and then I love seeing them slowly work their way out, and they don't work themselves all the way out to a total positive good. Right. Not entirely. It's right. like they, they're still just shy. There's still something that leaves a bitter taste in your mouth that's not quite resolved. There's right. there's something. Right. And I, I enjoy that a lot about mm -hmm. these. And I think that that's, um, yeah, I, that's what definitely what I would do. Right. Yeah, what I'm getting at is I, I want I wanted Jake to go off with his dad, but it was like, well, I mean, they didn't have to have a whole scene of them, you know, filming on a different location, and that would cost money. So this was like a cost-saving measure. Um, but then Cisco does come back at the end, so it's like a good thing he's not gone forever because he's just kind of like our main character. Um, and then yeah, I was just like, uh, I don't know. I just I want I want Jake to have more than he currently has, and and if that means he's a successful writer, he's got to commit to that, and that could be a lonely commitment. So maybe that's the commitment he's making, and that's what we'll have to see happen as we go along. Yeah. But the the more kind of humdrum lifestyle of having friends and going off and doing things and living a normal life. He's not doing that. And so part of me is sad. That he's not doing that. Um, but again, if he's doing the, if he's not doing all that for his career as a writer, then we really want him to I, be successful. And uh, that's a big ask. I mean, at least in terms of like yeah. realistic expectations, that's going to be a real big ask that he be successful. And so we're hoping for him. So, yeah. So I think what you're, what you're kind of getting around, um, is the issue here is that um, this was Trek's attempt at showing um, kids growing up, and this is not something that Star Trek has ever really been successful with. Mm. Star Trek doesn't handle children well; they never have. It's kind of odd to me that they that their biggest success with children is in just how bad they get them. <laughs> you know, turns um, out that. Like, uh... you, Cats and Picard was right. Kids are awkward. <laughs> you know, essentially, yes. You know, and, and what we've what we've witnessed here, you know, is I, I think this was their attempt at showing how you know the teenagers get all you know angsty and into what their own world is, and they don't have this wherewithal to kind of 
poke their head up and really look around and see what's going on around them. They become so absorbed in their own, you know, their own world, their own stuff. And I think that's what they were trying to do here. Um, and they added another element to that with Onaya and her kind of the way she's manipulating Jake. Right. And um, um, I, I, I think that would have been interesting too to have added in there that you know if we had seen Jake as an otherwise very personable and sociable kid, we know that he can make friends and we know that he can obviously get dates and stuff like that. But we never really see Jake just kind of palling around with several people at once he's right. not a part of any group right or on a, on a team or right. anything like that he's very much kind of this it's just him and knock or it was right. just him and marta or it was just him and i forget what the other girl's name was that he you know went on the Dates half with. date with whatever right you know so he's he's been very you know singular to a certain degree right so if this had been you know the reason that he was staying on the station was uh, not just to stay locked away in the quarters and, and write, but also because there was a group of friends who were going to be on the holodeck with the new hollow program. And he was going to be there and doing that with them instead of going through the Bajoran outback with his dad and his dad's girlfriend, he was instead staying to hang with his own friends like that. I think that that would have added a level of authenticity to the whole, why is this guy who we just watched two episodes ago, falling apart because his dad was, you know, transitioning through time or whatever, you know, now it seems like he just can't be bothered to spend time with his father. This, you know, this kid who was so interested in right. his, in his dad's happiness that he found a captain for his dad to date. And now he right. can't be bothered to, you know, go on a, that, those things don't track unless there's right. some other element. And it's unfortunate the element they chose was just Onaya, her being the sole focus. If right. it had been more than that, and then seeing him even drop away from them, withdrawing from the friends to spend more time right. with Onaya, that would have made it a more compelling, I think a more compelling story, but also would have heightened the fact that there's something off about this woman. Right. That she is doing something to him. Right, that she can so, manipulate him in that way. Yeah. As you were talking, it made me realize, I think, what it is I have a little bit of an issue of. And it's – I'm sad for Jake that it feels like his time on Deep Space Nine left him isolated and that this is just more of that because he only had really one friend, Nog. As you said, he had girlfriends. Nothing really ever worked out. His one friend is gone, and so he's isolated on the station, and so he isolates himself from his father in this episode, and he does so – in pursuit of a long shot dream, which again, I hope he's successful. And we know he will be successful, at least in alternate timeline. But, um, well, I mean, even that, in that timeline, he's, he's even lonely there. You know, he, he ends yeah, up, he's you know, all by himself at the end. He's divorced. Right. There's no kids in the house. He's right. living in the backwater bayou of Louisiana, which his exactly. house apparently seems to be very, inaccessible the girl comes right. traipsing through in the middle of the night in the rain and whatever right. else to find him right and he's ready to die he's, he's yeah he's dying yeah die. he's literally yeah. dying had, it was was it that he had took a fatal dose of something before she showed yes. up or that he yes right before she showed up he had injected himself with the medicine that was going to kill him slowly right so that right when he died he'd be dying when his dad was back he had just right. enough time to, to see him, explain what was going on, and then die. Right. Okay. That's what it was. Yeah. So I guess that's what I'm getting at is I, I want Jake to be successful at the writing career, 
but I'm sad that he is a lonely figure and that on some level he seems to have chosen that and that's well it's just sad and I yeah wish I wish good things for him and I feel like that might well as we just said have negative consequences but mild spoiler we see more of jake in his development and um, <laughs> we're only the, on the, season the path, four <laughs> right the path that he takes you okay. know um okay. so so don't worry <laughs> okay. um this again this is an episode that you know wasn't received too well by fans it's not to say that, that it was deadpanned outright or anything like that but it just wasn't it didn't receive the same kind of reception that you know they were hoping for right even some of the directors and writers and developers of the episode also thought this was a little bit more of a lackluster performance here they do again think that you know Majel and Odo or, you know, Renee, they do a great job together and so forth. But again, there's just a lot of things they just feel like they didn't quite hit. Right. I say all that to then, of course, ask you, but what did you think of this episode? I, I did feel like it was a filler episode, as you started off by saying. I think that the Jake storyline, I mean, I don't know if, if we were to count the minutes, how much was devoted to Jake versus Odo storyline, but it felt pretty equal. And I felt yeah, like, I was going to say, I feel like it's a pretty even split. Yeah, and I feel like Jake's storyline in this episode didn't deserve as much time as it got. It's a fairly simple story. He's writing a book. A woman comes along who says she can help. Turns out she's nefarious. She almost kills him. He narrowly survives. Pretty straightforward storyline. The Odo Luxana storyline is more nuanced. And as we, as I pointed out, I felt like there were some kinks trying to explain this alien society and how they work that we didn't quite get maybe if we had devoted more time there we could explain a few more things but yeah. as you pointed out there were some things i forgot so maybe it's i don't know it's a filler episode and according to yeah. what i'm reading here on wikipedia people agree it's a filler episode you can skip it yeah. and if you want Let's i mean see, i i would i would right as much the, as I, I remember there being a time when i would always say i hate the filler episodes i do right, remember that right but now as you know as you know streaming has changed everything and the way we access shows has changed everything. I really just I I'm the other shoe on the other foot guy, <laughs> I guess, you know, and I, I miss filler episodes. Yeah. Everything now is so dramatic and is so everything has to be impactful. Everything must mean something. Everything must, must move forward. Yeah. Right. And it, it doesn't give you time to really like sit and kind of be like, you know what? I really like that character. I really, you know, I kind of enjoyed this message that we're getting or beginning to get here and there. And we get to come back to getting it piecemeal and stuff like that. It's if we don't get it all in that one shot or in the very next shot, then it's just, it's not happening. And another unfortunate consequence of these shortened, um, hyper, you know, focused <clears throat> episodes is, um, uh, character death. Um, a lot of characters die before you feel like you really got a chance to get to know them, right. you know, and it's because, you know, we get all this, we get all this rapid fire development, you know, within one to two episodes, they've given us everything we need to know about the character. And then the third episode, they're dead. <laughs> Whereas in, you know, the other way that it used to be done, I mean, you would watch these characters for a couple of seasons, you might only see them, you know, three or four times or whatever it is. And they might be a background or something. They're doing something quirky and you're kind of like always glad to kind of see them like flitting around somewhere, you know. And then something would happen. There'd be a major battle or whatever. And they get blown out of an airlock and you just, you, you're, you're just shocked <laughs> or, you know, whatever it is. You don't get that anymore. Yeah. 
And um, I think that that's a mistake. Um, I think that we just we've lost a lot of things that um, make shows relatable and make multiple characters. Besides you having to be like always for the captain or always for the first officer or whatever it is. So many things about different characters that, you know, you begin to like and just begin to kind of understand and then they're gone. Right. You know? Right. So, and I hate that. I hate that for the actors because, I mean, they were characters like Miles O'Brien who were making their money on multiple projects and stuff while still maintaining the status as this background recurring character on Next Generation, you know? And did this for years. Yeah, he did. You know? He was there and, for a long he, time and then he got yeah, promoted finally. He, <laughs> finally, you know, and then he got a, a main spot. But they don't we won't be seeing that ever again, I don't think. Because I mean if they if they like you or you become a little too popular, maybe you start to demand a little too much money or whatever it is, they can just ax you. Yeah. And it's before anybody's really had a chance to kind of be like, you know what? Really uh really liking that character, you know? Right. So yeah. that sucks. Yeah, I agree. Um before we finish, I just want to say the one thing we haven't talked about is Quark at Odo's wedding. Didn't expect that. At least on uh, I don't I think you two would. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Didn't expect that either. Characters in the show have to be at places for things to happen, but it was like, yeah. I wouldn't expect Odo to invite Quark of all people, but what do you know? <laughs> yeah, not at all. And also another shout out to Jake wearing, once again, the 1970s public bus special. <laughs> Um, that purple and blue monstrosity. I don't even know how to describe that. I mean, yeah. just Jesus, it was awful. Well, um, they just <laughs> Sirach Lofton's cursive was very beautiful. I was him writing that cursive down, and it actually was on point for someone who uses. And what uh, was with that? And what was with that paper? Yeah, for yeah. someone who's never written on paper before. Yeah. Not only did he write <laughs> well on it, he wrote cursive on it. I it was, was shocked yeah. like, to think that they're still teaching cursive in the 24th century. And it was a high Come quality on. paper. It was real thin, like see-through. But... It was real thin. You could almost see through it. I was like, yeah, where'd they get that paper and from? And that pen was and like a calligraphy he... pen, but it almost yeah, had like a pencil and... feel to it. I don't know. It yeah. was very interesting. And the, and the way, the sound the paper made when he was writing, I was like, where did they get that? Like, someone went uh, for the attention to detail on the paper pen setup yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah, I definitely episode. was like they yeah. again as someone who actually still writes pen to paper, like I take notes in a notebook at, at work for or like notes from church and stuff. Like I was like, man, I want that paper. I want that pen. I want yeah. that. <laughs> I, yeah, you know what? I was I I don't necessarily write that often, but every so you know, I've got like legal passes if I keep for notations for work and whatever. Right. And I I am obsessed with finding like a great pen. Like I get in my mood sometimes. Like you know what? Really need a. I like you know, real fine like, just, pens yeah. with the, the yeah, thinnest point. you know. Yeah. Yeah, I do too, and I like the point you know, three the baby. Flowy point ink. zero three. Yeah, yeah, but. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, you know what? I would write more too if I had that set up. <laughs> just, it just looks like it. It looks like it feels nice. Oh yeah, yeah. It just looks like it. You know. So yeah, their attention to detail on this particular aspect <laughs> of the story was was great. Yeah. Um, Cisco. We also see Cisco sporting some out of uniform uh, <coughs> attire in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hodgepodge of patterns himself. You know. Yeah. So it had a distinct um, Africanized feel. I think they were doing that on purpose, but it didn't 
like none of it really seemed to like flow in any with any sense of uniformity that I could see. Now, granted, we don't see him in this much, so he didn't get the chance to really kind of like go full force on what he's wearing here. But um, yeah, he he was in something different. But still, Jake always stands out because I swear it's like their intent is to make sure that he's in something that you're just like, what is that? Right. Like. What random 1970s abandoned in the desert Vegas bus did you go pull that off of right. and put on this poor child? Right. Everything he's wearing is always like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh. <laughs> well, so yeah, I think that actually, you know, sum it up. We're a little over, but not too bad. Um, anything else really quick you want to say about this episode and our final appearance of Luoxana Troy, daughter of the fifth house, holder of the sacred chalice of Reeks, heir to the holy rings of Beta Z. I think I said what I had to say, uh, but I look forward to next week's uh, After Dark episode, special After Dark yes. episode. Yes, so. yes. So, really quick, we're going to give you a heads up on what that's going to be about. Obviously, as it is our 100th episode doing this podcast here we will not be talking about the episode that comes after this one instead what we're going to do is kind of do like a retrospective a look back on you know things that we've talked about in our show during our four season so far run um i thought it'd be also interesting to take a look at uh the very first episode once again oh man Uh, oh yeah yeah very very first episode of next of, of deep space nine and our very first episode wow. talking about the show and just kind of, you know, go through that little bit of a retrospective. Do a rewatch. Then, of course, oh, man. Yes. A rewatch and a re-listen. <laughs> We're going to rewatch uh, the very first episode and I just, we'll do this ourselves and then we'll bring it up, but uh, re-listen to our very first um, episode. Right. Talk about that. We will also be going full on into the Expanse and uh, the fourth book here, Sybilla Burns, um, and the fourth season of the Expanse. This will be a bit of a longer episode, so just giving you guys a heads up there because there's just going to be these two major segments that we're going to, you know, go over. And if you want to join in on any of that, please, of course, feel free. I'm going to make sure that we send out ample things so that people are aware of what's going on, of course. So, yeah. Lots to cover in the 100th, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to look back. And I think that what we will also do, now that I just, you know, because now we've had more time to sit with officially Captain Cisco, mm. let's uh, do a full-on comparison of Cisco <laughs> and Picard. Oh, come on, we, as if we haven't tried already Cis- doing some of that. <laughs> Uh, we've we've done it. we've done little bits here and there. We've definitely talked about different bits of their command style and personality and so forth. But what better time to do a true, you know, let's let's compare than at this hundredth uh, demarcation. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So there you have it, guys. Tune in next week. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot of stuff to just really kind of talk about and go through and you know return to some old favorites and so forth. But, uh, yeah, you can um, find us, follow us anywhere that you um, do your social medias. We're on everything except for Twitter, of course, or X now, it's called. Um, <laughs> I call you it can Twix also... for fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you can also find us on YouTube, of course, where we have our live shows that you can, you know, watch and actually follow along with us if you'd like to see our bright, smiling faces. And, of course, you can listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts. I happen to do it on Spotify. But until next week in that infamous 100th episode, take care of yourselves. Thanks, guys. <laughs>